Lord Jesus, you are all grace and truth, and we pray that by the power of your word, you would make us the same. We ask this in your name. Amen. When I was in graduate school, I remember one seminar where we were discussing the practice of human sacrifice in various cultures. And everyone in the room was saying things like, you know, we really can't judge human sacrifice as a bad thing. That would be narrow-minded. If it's culturally appropriate, well, then who are we to judge? I went to Stanford. What can I say? And I didn't want to seem unenlightened, but it just seemed like someone needed to say that maybe human sacrifice wasn't all good. So I did, and I got labeled as judgmental. And I'm wondering, do any of you ever feel the same way, feel trapped in a similar circumstance? Do you ever find yourself where you don't quite know what to say to someone about unhealthy behaviors that they're engaged in? On the one hand, you don't want to seem judgmental. But on the other hand, you don't want to just approve of harmful behavior. And do you ever find yourself in that situation? Maybe it's a friend or an adult child. Maybe they have a struggle with alcohol or they're having sex outside of marriage. Or they're too focused on work at the expense of friends and family. Or they're pursuing a divorce without ever having tried to reconcile the marriage. Not to mention a whole host of social issues that we as Christians have a hard time figuring out how to address. Do we judge or do we tolerate? This is the last sermon in a series called The Book of First Opinions. Talking about all those opinions we have that are not in the Bible. And today I want to talk about the popular idea that we shouldn't judge other people. Now, unlike all the other opinions we've examined, this one really is in the Bible. Jesus himself says, judge not, lest you be judged. But I think in our culture that we take that to an extreme and interpret that as if Jesus was telling us that we should tolerate any kind of behavior no matter what, because in our culture, tolerance is the number one virtue. And I don't think that's what Jesus means. Because the truth is, there are a lot of problems with both judgmentalism and just kind of tolerance. The problems with judgmentalism are legion. For starters, it doesn't work. It doesn't do any good. Do you know anyone who has changed their life as a result of being judged and shamed? I don't. More to the point, though, Jesus says in the story that we just read that the only people who can judge are people who have never sinned, which leaves me out. I'm guessing it leaves some of you out, too, just by looking at you. On top of that, when we judge, it's usually self-interested. We do it because we're mad or because we want to feel superior to someone, not because we have their best interest at heart. But I think the biggest problem with judging is it doesn't really show who the real Jesus is. And too often, the face of Jesus that the world sees is the condemning, judgmental, trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored, Christians on the evening news, saying God hates this group of people or that group of people. That is not the Jesus of the Bible who is a friend of sinners. Judging doesn't work. But neither does tolerance. In this story that we read about the woman taken in adultery, Jesus understands that adultery has devastating consequences. It is not to be tolerated. It wrecks families. It destroys children. It breaks heart of the, the hearts of everyone involved, including the people who are doing it. And if we tolerate behavior that's hurtful, well, that's not loving. Tolerance is just a synonym for I don't care. I don't care what, how you hurt yourself. 
plus who wants to be tolerated, right? As I've said to you before, to say to someone, I just want you to know how much I tolerate you, usually not received as a compliment. I don't know why it's our number one virtue in our culture. It doesn't make any sense to me. The best example of tolerance I have in my life was my childhood dog named Boots. She was very tolerant. When I jumped off the upstairs deck and nearly broke my legs, Boots just wagged her tail. She was that way. She didn't want to be a judgmental dog. One day I wanted to conduct a scientific experiment to see what would happen if I stuck my tongue to the inside of the freezer. It got stuck. I had to rip it off. There was blood. And Boots just wagged her tail. You know, if sticking my tongue to the freezer was the lifestyle choice I made, Boots was going to tolerate it all the way. Boots disappointed me as a dog. You know, because I think Lassie would have found a way to stop Timmy from freezing his tongue off, don't you think? He would have barked or something, right? Neither judgmentalism nor tolerance works. We need a third alternative. And it's that third way that both the stories we just read point to. The Gospel of John says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. We need both. And we are forever falling off one side of that horse or the other, aren't we? Telling too much truth, you're a sinner, you're messed up, right? Or too much grace, never holding anyone accountable. But if you don't have both grace and truth together, you actually end up with neither. Because if all you have is truth, telling people they're sinners, it's not truth because you're leaving out the truth that through Jesus we can have a new life. Plus, nobody will listen to you because you're obnoxious. But if all you have is grace, tolerating everything, it's not grace. Because you're letting people do hurtful things, and that's not grace. That's indifference. We need both grace and truth. And that's what Jesus shows the woman taken in adultery. Pharisees present Jesus with the same false binary choice we confront all the time. Shall we judge her or just ignore her sin and tolerate her? But like so many other times when Jesus was faced with a false binary choice, he just comes up with something that's entirely different, a third way. It's not A, it's not B, it's not C, something in the middle, some kind of compromise. It's just different. It's, it's a banana, right? Some kind of, just some kind of different, right? A different paradigm altogether. We need to be people of the third way. Not the middle way, not a compromise, a third way. People of the third way, grace and truth together just as jesus does in this story he gives grace he forgives the woman and then he tells her some truth go and sin no more and the reason he says that last thing isn't because he's mad at her or thinks she's disgusting but because he loves her and the sin is wrecking her life and he wants the best for her jesus is a person of the third way neither judging nor tolerating but a perfect blend of grace and truth so how do we become people of the third way five steps first thing we need to do is admit our own sin in this story jesus says to the pharisees if you're without sin go ahead and cast the first stone let them fly boys and then one by one they all walk away starting with the oldest i think the reason the oldest left first is because they'd had more time in life to rack up more sins what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's forcing them to confront their own sin. Because when we do that, and when we understand that our sins aren't just trivial little peccadilloes, 
but that we do things that cause real pain to ourselves and others when we understand that it's not just the case that we're merely morally morally suboptimal or that we simply need to target holiness as a personal growth opportunity for 07, but when we really get that when we gossip, we destroy a person's reputation or when we hoard resources or indulge in lustful thoughts or any number of things, we are causing real pain to ourselves and to others. And when we get that, it becomes harder to judge because we're sinners too. Ours is a different flavor of sin, but it's still sin. My dad has an interesting saying. He says, the trouble with pigs is pigs don't think pigs stink. I have no idea what that means, but he says it with great authority as though it should change my life. I think what he's getting at, I think it's Eastern Washington speak for, you know what? We may not think we stink, but we do. So own it, because it'll make us a little less picky about how how other people smell. This week, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, show me my sin. And he will. And then it will be a lot harder to judge others. And then, when we've done that, the next step toward becoming people of the third way is to then experience Christ's forgiveness. In this story, Jesus gives this woman an amazing experience of grace. Jesus himself knew the pain of being judged and shamed. He grew up with a mother who, like this woman, was always accused of adultery because she was unmarried teenager when she had Jesus. And as a boy, Jesus would have had to heard the villagers taunting his mother as they walked to the market, calling his mother names like adulteress or worse. Jesus himself was sometimes referred to as a son of Mary, which in that culture was a huge insult because back then people were referred to by their father's name. So the polite way to refer to Jesus would have been Jesus, son of Joseph. To call him a son of Mary was to question his paternity and his mother's virtue. Son of Mary was equivalent to an English expression we have that conveys similar sentiments. So maybe this woman taken in adultery reminded Jesus of his own mother's plight and how cruel judgment can be. And so he says to her, woman, who condemns you? Not me. Maybe today you feel like this woman. Shamed or judged or feeling guilty for something you've done. Jesus says to you, my son, my daughter, I'm not condemning you. And the reason we're forgiven is the same reason this woman is, because Jesus has taken the punishment for us. Back then, the penalty for adultery was death. And Jesus does not suspend that penalty. It's just that he takes the punishment himself. He'll be put to death so this woman can go free. Whatever penalty needed to be paid to set the balance of justice right because of the things we've done, it has been paid in full by Jesus. We are forgiven. And when we experience that forgiveness through the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a lot easier to give it away to others. Own our own sin. Experience Christ's forgiveness. The next step toward becoming people of the third way is to then serve others. We have no right to speak truth into anybody's life unless we have earned that right by serving them and loving them in a way that points to Jesus. I can hear a lot of hard truths from people who know who I know love me, but I cannot hear those hard truths from people who I don't feel love from because I don't know that they have my best interest at heart. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Own our sin, experience Christ's forgiveness, serve others, and then next, 
tell the truth in love. Because real love confronts people when they're doing something that hurts themselves or others, just as Jesus does in this story. I had a friend who once said to me, you don't love me. I said, what do you mean I don't love you? We've been friends for years. I tell you my secrets. We've been through tough times together. And he said, yeah, but you never kick me in the rear when I screw up. And I know that you hate conflict, which makes me think that you love being comfortable by avoiding conflict more than you love me or want me to grow. And he's right. If we really care about people, we will tell them the truth. Not out of anger, not in self-righteousness, but in love. Because we want God's best for them. Now you may ask, well, who are we to tell people what's best for them? Well, nobody. And if the truth we're telling them is merely our opinion, we should keep our mouth shut. But if the truth we're telling comes out of Scripture, it's not our idea of what's best for them, it's God's. And he gives us the commands he gives us so that we can have the abundant life. And when we tell someone the truth in love, that's how we need to present it. It is not helpful to walk up to someone and say, your behavior is immoral. That may be. But the question is, why does God give us the commands he gives us? And this is important, so hear me on this, because I think sometimes we think we have to approach people with a right and a wrong speech. Like, this is right, and this is wrong, and you're doing wrong, and start doing right. But the, the question is, why does God say one thing is right and another is wrong? The reason he does is because some things give us life and others hurt us. So we obey God not out of guilt and obligation. We obey his laws because we trust him and trust that his laws are meant to help us live our best life now. And we present it that way when we tell someone the truth in love. And if we can't say all of those things in love because we're angry or feeling judgmental at someone, then we are not the one to talk to that person. Someone else needs to. And we need to be honest enough to admit that. The last year I was in California, my job was switched from college pastor to teaching pastor. And I had agreed to the change, but it was hard for me because I I missed the college students and the new job was hard. And I whined about this for months. I whined to my wife. I whined to my friends. Here a whine, there a whine, everywhere a whine, whine. And finally, one of my former students said to me, cut it out. That's a direct quote. Cut it out. He said, you're my mentor, but I can't follow you like this. This job change is God's way of developing you as a leader, and I know you can do it, but you don't have any joy because you're too focused on the past. And you're making yourself miserable and your wife miserable and me miserable, so get over it. I felt so loved. (laughs) I really did. Because he cared enough to confront me, his mentor. And he cared that I became everything God created me to be. To be people of the third way. God invites us to own our own sin, experience his grace, serve others to earn the right to be heard, tell the truth in love, and finally, give people grace. The problem with tolerance is it says that no change is necessary. The problem with judgmentalism is it says that no change is possible. Grace says that change is both necessary and possible through Jesus. Grace says your sins are behind you. They don't define you. God has buried them on the ocean floor. And he loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you, so let's together become the people Jesus created us to be. Grace says all of those things, and then it does one more thing. Grace stays. No hitting and running. If we confront someone, we need to stick with them, 
no matter what. When I was doing college ministry, I, I came home one day and I heard my wife talking on the phone in another room to a student. And, and she was almost yelling at this student. Not quite yelling, but, but close. And, and one of the things, if you don't know my wife, one of the things I love about my wife is, is that you always know exactly what she's thinking because she tells you. And you're never quite sure what's going to come out of her mouth. It's always a little bit of a surprise. It's, it's like there's no filtering mechanism, right? If the thought occurs, it is spoken. It is a superhighway from brain to mouth. It's an interesting quality for a pastor's wife to have. Personally, I love it. I think it's refreshing. Well, this student that Christina was talking to that day, I'll, I'll call the student Linda, was in Christina's Bible study. And Linda had this habit of going to parties, getting drunk, and ending up in sexual situations with men she later regretted. And she'd called to tell Christina that yet again she'd done that. And it ended up going further sexually than she ever had before, and she felt used and she felt guilty. And Christina was almost yelling at her, saying, Linda, this has no effect on how much I love you, and no effect on how much God loves you. But why do you hold yourself so cheaply? You are a treasure, and you're just giving yourself away to people who are not committed to you. And God wants so much more for you than this, and I want so much more for you than this. You deserve a man who is going to love you and honor you and not be in the most intimate relationship with you until he has promised to God and witnesses that he will never leave you. So stop it. You don't have to do this. And I heard all of this within a few minutes of walking into our home. So I headed toward where my wife was to see if I could be of assistance, per, perhaps give her a crash course on pastoral care, right? the first lesson of which would be do not yell at the students, right? But then I noticed that along with the near yelling, there was another tone in her voice as well. And as I got closer, I saw that Christina was crying. Not just little tears, but full-on tears and liquid everywhere, right? Not out of anger, but out of a broken heart. The student later said that that was one of the most important moments in her entire life. She said that when she called Christina, she said, I didn't know what to expect. She said, I thought maybe Christina would judge me or, or give me some Stanford pablum about how all lifestyles are okay. But, but what I got was just different. That was the word she used, different. And it was a turning point for this student. My wife stuck with her, didn't abandon her. Eventually, the student quit the party scene. Later, she started dating a great guy who respected her, and now they're married and her life has really unfolded in wonderful ways. It was not tolerance that changed her life, and it wasn't judgmentalism. It was a third way, grace and truth together. So today, where do you need to hear God's truth spoken into your life that, like me, you are a sinner? But then also his grace, which says your sins don't define you, they're behind you, and through the Holy Spirit you can be made new. And then who around you might need both grace and truth, and will you give it to them? Because wouldn't it be great if we were known as the church of the third way, a place where people can come no matter how messed up their lives, no matter how many mistakes they've made, no matter how dirty their uniform is from the game of life. And we say God loves you and we love you, not as you should be, but just as you are. But God also loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. And then we pick each other up and we dust each other off and we help each other get healed up and whole in the name of Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to be known as the church of the third way? 
As the hymn says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear by telling me the truth that I am a sinner. But then grace my fears relieved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, because it saves and changes wretches like me and wretches like you and all those wretches out there who are just dying to be made new through Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would make us people of the third way, grace and truth together. Lord, you know how to do this because you wrote the book on it. So, Lord, help us to be those people, and we'll point to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.